If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. And it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM. I'm Byron Reese. Today, I'm excited that my guest is Raj Minhas. He is the vice president the Director of Interactive and Analytics Laboratory at PARC, which we used to call Xerox PARC. Uh, Raj earned his PhD and MS in Electrical and Computer Engineering from the University of Toronto and a BE from Delhi University. He has eight patents and six patent-pending applications. Welcome to the show, Raj. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start off just asking a really simple question. Are what seems like a simple question. What is artificial intelligence? Okay, um, I'll try to give you two answers. One is a flip response, which is if you tell me what is intelligence, I'll tell you what is artificial intelligence, but that's not very useful. So I'll try to give you my functional definition, um, which is um, I think of artificial intelligence as the ability to automate cognitive tasks that we humans do, right? So that includes the ability to process information, make decisions based on that, uh, learn from that information, right? So at, at a kind of high level, that functional definition is useful enough for me. Well, I'll, I'll engage on each of those, if you'll just permit me. I mean, I think even given a definition of intelligence, which everyone agreed on, which doesn't exist, artificial is still ambiguous. Do you think of it as artificial in the sense that artificial turf isn't really grass, so it's not really intelligence, it just looks like intelligence? Or is it simply artificial because we made it, but it really is intelligent? It's the latter, right? So if, if, if we could agree on what intelligence is, then artificial intelligence to me would be sort of the classical definition of artificial intelligence, which is you know recreating that outside the human body, right? So recreating that by ourselves. Um, it may not be uh, recreated in the way it's created in our minds, in in in, in the way um, humans or other animals do it, but it, uh, it it's art. It's recreated in that it it achieves the same purpose. Um, it it's able to reason in same ways. It's able to perceive the world. It's able to do problem solving in that way. Um, and, and so, without getting uh, necessarily sort of bogged down by what is the mechanism by which we have intelligence, and does that need, mechanism need to be same? Artificial intelligence to me would be recreating that, um, so, the ability of that. Uh, fair enough. So I just ask you one more question along these lines. So, using your ability to automate cognitive tasks, let me give you four or five things, and you tell me if they're AI. Um, AlphaGo. Uh, yes. And then AI. a step down from that, a calculator. Um, sure, permitted form of AI. AI. A step down from that, an abacus. Um, abacus. Uh, you know, it, 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 sure, it, it involves humans and and sort of operation of it. So maybe it's on that boundary where um, it, it's not. It's partially automated, but yes, I mean, you, you, what you about know, an, it, it, an assembly line. Um, sure, right. And, so I, I think. I mean, at yeah, some ahead, point. Please. And then, and then I, I would say my last one, which is, you know, a cat food dish that refills itself when it's empty. 
And if you say yeah, yes, all to of them, those things, but then, all of those things to me are intelligent, but they're not. Some of those are very rudimentary and not. Right. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, you look at um, uh, uh, animals, right? I mean, you know, the sort of um, uh, on, on one scale of the uh, one end of the scale are humans. They can do a variety of tasks that other animals cannot. And on the other uh, end of the spectrum, you may have very simple um, uh, uh, organisms, single celled or uh, 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 mammals, you know, uh, they may do things that I would find intelligent. They may be simply uh, responding to stimuli and that intelligence may be very much encoded and they may not have the ability to learn, right? So it may not have all aspects of intelligence. Uh, but I think this is where it's, it's really hard to say what is intelligent, right? Which is sort of my flip response. If you say what is intelligence, I can say, um, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to automate that by artificial intelligence. So if you were to include in your definition of intelligence, which I do, that, um, you know, ability to do math, um, it, it, you know, it, it implies intelligence. Um, then uh, um, uh, by automating that with abacus is a way of sort of artificially doing that, right? Um, rather than doing it in your head using whatever mechanism is in there, um, you're trying to do that artificially. So, I, I, I mean, these are very hard questions that seem so simple, but, you know, it, it, at some point in in order to be logically consistent, uh, you have to say, yes, I mean, if that's what I mean, then that's what I mean, uh, even though the examples can get very trivial. Well, I guess then, and, and this really is the last question on those lines. What's what if if kind of everything falls under your definition? Then then what's different now? Like what's changed? I mean, like a word that means everything means nothing, right? <laughs> that is a that is part of the problem. But what what is I think what is becoming more and more uh, uh, different is the kinds of things you're able to do, right? Um, Let's talk about that. Sure. I mean, so, uh, you know, we are able to reason now in ways that uh, artificially than, that we were not able to reason before. Um, and even if you sort of take the, the narrower definition that you know, people tend to use, which is around machine learning, we're able to use that to perceive the world in ways, uh, ways in which we were not able to before. Um, and, and so what is changing is our ability to do more and more of those things uh, um, uh, without relying on a person necessarily at the point of doing them. We still rely on people to build those systems, to teach them how to do those things, but um, we are able to automate a lot of that. Um, uh, obviously, machine uh, artificial intelligence to me is more than sort of uh, uh, machine learning where you show something, a lot of data, and it learns to infer a function uh, because it, it includes ability to reason about things, to be able to say, I want to create uh, a system that, does X and how do I do it, right? So can you sort of uh, uh, reason about models of the world um, and, and uh, come to some way of putting them together and composing them to achieve that task? Um, well, you've used the word reason three times in that, in that last bit. Do you believe computers can reason? Um, and again, I think this will sort of come back to the, the whole point that we were talking about before. Uh, yes, I believe computers can reason. That reasoning may be very trivial. That reasoning may involve simply searching over some state space to um, evaluate some properties and say, you know, which, which states of the world are not uh, satisfying this property that I care about. But to me, that's reasoning. So specifically about machine learning, which you, you just touched on as a, as a technique to implement some kinds of of machine of um, AI, um, 
the core assumption behind machine learning is that the future is like the past, right? Like I take a bunch of data about the past, I study it and I make right. predictions about the future. That, that's a good way to think about like, what does a cat look like? It probably looks the same tomorrow as it did yesterday. But are there sorts of problems in your mind that that approach just does not work because the future really has no precedent in the past? Um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, can, we can look at this in, uh, well, I tend to look at this in terms of sort of how we view the world, right? There are a number of things where we rely on the world being the same tomorrow as it was yesterday, right? And, and they are, they allow us to operate in our daily lives. They allow us to go about, go about doing the daily things. Uh, and then we are surprised, right? We, we learn new things. We, uh, you know, we suddenly discredit old theories and we uh, discover a new way to interpret the world and uh, or we see new things, right? So we see the black swan for the first time and it changes the mental model and we adapt and we learn. And, and so uh, w while we rely heavily on the fact that um, the world today is more or less the same as it was yesterday, uh, our view into that world may be bigger today than it was yesterday. Um, and we, we have the capacity to... Uh, take that novel information to to do something with it, to expand our view of the world, our model of the world, to make new uh, decisions based on that, to make that into the new um, mundane, right? So then the things that we have learned today become the new mundane and we expect them to be the same day after tomorrow, right? And, and so um, in, in, in terms of AI, it's no different. I mean, there will be a lot of things where our assumption is things tomorrow are the same as they are today. If our uh, aim is to recognize uh, cats and images, that's not a bad way to go, right? I mean, cats uh, tomorrow are likely very similar to what cats are today. There might be a new species that comes out that is physiologically similar, but maybe has very different features or something that we don't yet know about. Um, uh, but for most part, I mean, that assumption isn't bad. Um, uh, it's not complete. I mean, obviously, things change. Um, we discover new things. We need to adapt to those things. We need to reason about those things. But um, for 95, I, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know how to quantify that, but for a large fraction of what we do in our daily lives, we heavily rely on the assumption that the world today is the same as it was. I guess I'm thinking of different sorts of types of problems like can you tell could you study everything i've ever said and predict what i'm going to say next um can human creativity be seen as studying the past and projecting it in the future can you use ml to make creative machines um those sorts of questions are there things that a whole different kind of thinking is involved that you can't necessarily train it with data about the past or or is what I'm about to say actually derivable from everything I've said in the past? Um, so I, I know you're sort of posing that uh, as a way of sort of you know uh, um, uh, making a point, but I think there is more truth to in what you said about humans than you know one may initially be willing to believe, right? Um, we do this all the time, right? We say, okay, I spent time with this person, I know how he behaves, therefore I trust him. Right. And that's not to say that the person will not tomorrow do new things or we come up with new ways of uh, thinking about the world or that person may surprise us and our view of that person may be wrong. And so even though everybody agrees that humans are creative and they are able to respond to new things, we do this all the time where we say, I trust 
X because of these past behaviors, or I don't trust X because of these past behaviors, where we are saying what we have seen in the past is an indicator of how they will do things in the future. You know, we say you know, humans are creatures of habit, right? And that essentially is saying the same thing. Being creatures of habit does not preclude us um, doing things in new ways that we others haven't seen before. We, we surprise ourselves sometimes by being in situations and doing things that we didn't think we would do, right? So we update our model of the world. But um, it, it, there is more truth to them, that than, um, than you, you know, we may be willing to admit at first. Well, I, I, I don't have any problems with that. Like, you know, my email program or, or when I'm texting somebody, it's constantly trying to guess the next word I'm going to say based on all, all the words in the past. I'm just wondering, are there logical limits to that? I guess it's a different way for me to ask the question, do you believe we're going to build a general intelligence that, that we can, that all of them? Huh. Well, now let, me, let me ask it a different way. Do you believe we can build a general intelligence using techniques that we already know? Can you build a general intelligence could you build commander data off Star Trek, C-3PO out of Star Wars, Sonny out of iRobot? Could you build that by just studying data in the past? Or would a general intelligence be something different using completely different methodologies and ways of understanding the world? So that's a very interesting question. No, I do not believe that we will uh, achieve general intelligence by the techniques and things that we already have. But I don't know whether that is achievable using other means or not. Um, in technology, you know, it's, I think it's a fool's errand to say something cannot be done just based on hunch, right? So either there are physical limits that uh, prevent that, and there might be that we don't know about, or it's always possible, right? And so I, I, I don't know. Um, um, the answer to the, the broader question of whether it's achievable, uh, you know, things, using things that develop uh, in the future, but I don't think it's doable using uh, ideas and techniques that we have now. Uh, building a machine learning system that looks at data from the past and, you know, uh, classify something or predict something about the future based on sort of the techniques we use now, while they are very, very useful for the tasks they do, that's not my notion of, um, you know, sort of broader intelligence, which includes uh, ability to respond to unseen things, ability to be, uh, 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 ability to have sort of uh, imagination about things that we haven't seen, right? Um, our, we, you know, I, I, I don't know how crucial those things are because that's sort of kind of thinking about, you know, the way our minds work is how an artificial general intelligence will also be. So the mechanism for that may be completely different. It may be able to reason about new things without having the same notion of imagination that we do. Um, but um, but the current techniques, I don't think, are anywhere close to giving us a path to artificial general intelligence. So somehow, what the human brain, or the human mind, if you prefer, does, is different than I've had a, I've lived a certain life and had a certain set of experiences, which is my training data. And somehow... Right. I'm processing that data in a certain way and right. making guesses about the future. It seems implicit in your, in what you just said that the human brain is doing something more or different than that. Cause that, that construct of the brain is just ML. If, if that's what you think, if that's what one thinks we are. But I mean, I don't think that's all we are. Correct. Right. So Correct. we do. Right. So yeah. I mean, I think that... we have a, Sorry, go what, ahead, please. What could that be then? Like, what would be, 
if we're not just taking data about the past and somehow making inference into the future, what would be an, not even a theory on what it is, but what would be an example of what else could be going on in the human brain? Sure. Um, so I, I think in, in our in our brain, we have a notion of the world, right? And that notion of the world is there, even though we have not seen a lot of that world, right? And so I think that's something that um, is... Uh, uh, so something that that we are born with. All animals are born with it, right? I mean, so you know, a uh, uh, lot of mammals. Um, uh, uh, well, more than mammals, right? I mean, a lot of animals kind of just are born and they have a notion of the world. And they they uh, as soon as they're born, they start operating with that um, uh, notion of the world and and behaving, um, responding to stimuli and going about their life, right? As humans, we do too, right? I, I believe that we are born with some notion of the world that's passed down to us um, uh, in, in, uh, in, in, our, uh, in our genes that leads to sort of development of our brain in a specific way that then uh, is open to um, learning more instances about that world, more nuance, more information, uh, more everything. But... Um, the 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 brain that we are born with is not a blank slate. I mean, it, it does have some model of the world, right? It has a model of, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what is it, what is it that I need to do to uh, get attention? What is it that I need to do in order to get fed? What is it I need to do in order to be picked up? I mean, even as kids, before we have seen anything, we are we we respond in those ways, and. and um, uh, uh, a machine learning system um, doesn't yet have a model of the world in it, right? Um, so my background is in control systems and, and control systems and machine learning and artificial intelligence, I think, have a very sort of a, a common ancestry. And in, in, in machine learning, um, one of the way, in control systems, one of the way we talk about sort of adding robustness to control loops is by what is called internal model principle, where you have a model of the world. Uh, you have a notion of how um, the system responds if you do X, you know, uh, uh, and that allows us to build in um, some kind of extrapolation, some kind of robustness to things we haven't seen. So while I don't know what model of the world we have in our brains, I do not believe that's a blank slate. I believe there is a model of the world that it, that it, it is uh, biased in specific ways of learning. It comes with sort of some information about what exists and what um, uh, what are the ways to survive in it. And 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 on top of that, we sort of add color and nuance and all kinds of things we do throughout the lifetime of learning. It is true. We're born with a bunch of abilities, like a baby doesn't have to be taught necessarily to nurse. They, they can hold up paper plates with angry and happy faces on them. Babies can tell the difference between those. There seems to be some amount of knowledge of gravity, like don't crawl off the cliff. They seem to have an innate fear of snakes uh, at a very young age, even when you haven't been taught. And it's really fascinating to think that somehow that's, you know, embedded in that 30 meg or, or whatever amount of DNA we have. It's really and that somehow that all comes from, you know, one cell multiplying over and over and over again. Uh, it's, it's really inexplicably interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. It's incredible. So let's talk a little bit about what you 
do at Park. So broadly, talk about Park's mission and, and history briefly, and then what is your role there? Okay, so let's start with the history, right? So Park was established in 1970 by Xerox to build the office of the future, right? That was the mission and the charter to build the office of the future. Um, and that led to all kinds of amazing things, right? So the personal computer, the Ethernet, I mean, the laser printer, right? Things that enabled the uh, office of the future um, led to all kinds of innovations in the IT industry that we see today. Those you know, innovations kind of came out of that initial kernel of people that came together with that kind of, sort of well-defined uh, uh, mission, but not you know, no definition of what the technology should be, et cetera, that, that's what they, they built. Um, and so um, in 2012, um, uh, um, Xerox Corporation, which is the parent co company for uh, Palo Alto Research Center, uh, decided that there was a lot of innovation that came out of Park, but not all of it made it into the world through Xerox. Um, and I mean, if you kind of think about it, the, the biggest uh, value that Xerox uh, itself got out of it was through the laser printer, right? And, and in terms of computing and languages and graphical user interface, a lot of those innovations came um, to fruition through others. And so it, the Xerox decided that, you know, it was time to um, maybe try that as a model. Um, uh, and so Park was spun out, became a fully owned subsidiary of Xerox uh, with the charter of doing um, uh building, the, doing research and doing innovation, this kind of open innovation um, with an open innovation mindset, right? And so what that meant was sort of uh, over time, um, we still do a lot of work for Xerox, a lot of uh, innovations targeted at Xerox. Roughly half the work we do is targeted at them. But the other half is um, uh, sort of more uh, 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 more uh, broader than that, we do a lot of work, uh, early stage work funded by government grant agencies like DARPA, um, ARPA-E, uh, you know, uh, National Institute of Health, uh, Department of Transportation, NASA, Air Force and uh, Naval Research Labs, things like that. Um, and that allows us to build some capabilities. And then we also then sort of try to bring those to market through partners through we work with um, Fortune 500 companies and 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 um, uh, and startups, um, and so sort of it allows us to sort of bridge the whole spectrum from early stage research to um, uh, paths to market through whoever the right partners are. Um, so as an example, currently we are doing a project funded by DARPA on building explainable. AI models, and in that sense, AI is uh, construed more narrowly as machine learning models, right? So, um, explainable machine learning models, um, especially targeted at sort of some of the deep neural nets, uh, which, because of their inherent uh, complexity, are, are more like black boxes. And so, DARPA's interest is in um, uh, creating explanations for uh, scenarios where autonomous systems are being driven by these machine learning systems. Um, and so, and so we were doing that early stage research. Now that's very focused on defense kind of applications and autonomous drones carrying out missions. But as you might imagine, that's very applicable to a whole bunch of other scenarios. So we'll try to uh, generalize those uh, uh, results and try to bring to market um, uh, uh, through our parent company Xerox or through other commercial partners that to bear to other domains, right? Other uh, 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 civilian and other uh, kind of applications. 
So, and within that, what's, what, what is your day-to-day look like? Um, are you talking about me personally or sort of yes, day at park? No, no, uh, you personally. Uh, yeah, so I lead the AI uh, research lab at Park, and so sort of part of that is um, for us to build. Um, uh, you know, we are a, we are a small place, so we need to have sort of focus on where we think we are going to do things differently than others. There is a lot of uh, good work going on in um, a lot of other companies and universities, and so we try to sort of have a focus on. Um, where we think we will add value, right? So there is, uh, so so my day-to-day is kind of sort of uh, working with our teams, trying to figure some of those things out, uh, uh, contributing to some ideas, um, making sure that um, uh, we we have the uh, the the uh, funding to do those things, making sure that we are uh, uh, you know publishing these things, capturing the IP where it makes sense. Um, uh, and sort of generally building an environment where people can do interesting and crazy things. Let's talk a little bit about explainability. Can we, uh, is that an area you, f- you feel like, I know you said it was DARPA work, but I assume you can talk about. Yes, we can talk. I mean, there's, uh, we don't do any confidential, um, you know, uh, top secret kind of work. So it's, uh, everything we're doing here is in, uh, uh, it will be published and we, uh, I'm happy to talk about it. So, I have two questions about explainability. One is going to be, yeah, I remember, I don't know, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it was Groucho Marx or somebody who said that any club who (laughs) would have him as a member, he didn't want to join. But like, isn't any AI that's explainable at some point, uh, you know, like what's the big deal then? Because if we can understand it, we could have probably figured it out and granted the computer did it faster, but but it's not giving us these like insights that are so far above us we cannot understand. So I guess I have several questions about it. So I'll just start with that one. Is, sure. is that shackles on AI to say it needs to be explainable? Um, so I think those are two different questions and I'll try to answer both. First is, um, you know, if you, if you're able to explain what AI does, you know, it's, it's not, you, you can sort of figure it out. It's not uh, very useful anymore. Uh, and I think that kind of relies on the uh, assumption that what we are trying to explain is the mechanism. In fact, uh, we are explicitly not trying to do that because you know, there is no easy way to say how um, millions of these parameters interact together to produce the results. Similar to, it's very difficult to say how our brains function, right? But I'm still able to explain to people what I mean. And so for us, and explainability sort of like intelligence is one of those things which is, you know, it's a hard, it's a simple thing to understand, but hard to explain. And so for us, we had to sort of be clear about what we mean by explainability. And um, explainability for us is a way to um, uh, 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 not, not explain how something was generated, but why. Um, so you should be able to say, uh, 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 how would I change things for something to be different, right? So, you, you know, you, you should be able to um, uh, talk about, well, you know, yeah, I, uh, so in the context of drones, the example might be that uh, the, the task was for it to fly autonomously and uh, provision a lost hiker. And it, it and it didn't do that. It searched and came back. And you asked it questions. And well, why didn't you go this way? Why didn't you go that way? It doesn't need to explain in con, in terms of its um, 
its 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 parameters and and uh, and and underlying components. What it needs to be able to say is, uh, in in terms of concepts that are at a higher level and be able to say, oh, there was a fire there and, and, and because of the smoke, my sensors weren't able to pick up anything. So I, w I didn't know what to do. And, and therefore, uh, uh, the decision was to wait out uh, until the smoke subsides or something like that, which is explaining an action in terms of its consequences on what the task was rather than explaining how you know the various parameters came together. Um, and the second question that you had was around, you know, does it put shackles on the eye? And um, it, it really depends on the application, right? In some applications, you may care about getting an explanation because either um, at the time of um, uh, training, you need to be able to build trust or in a forensic manner afterwards, you need to be able to reason about it. You may not need it to generate an explanation all the time, but when you need to, it should be able to provide an explanation. But in a lot of scenarios, that may not be the case. I mean, I, you know, I, um, uh, uh, if uh, um, uh, uh, the application doesn't call for um, uh, an explanation, that may not be the constraint you put on it. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. So well, you I'm having to... a little, uh, just a little trouble understanding the distinction you're drawing. So going back to your drone example, the right. why question. So if I were to ask, uh, let's take a question from history. Why did the Roman Empire fall? Like yeah. there's no more, you know, contentious question than that. Uh, there, there's so many factors at play and every historian has their own theory, uh, you know, down to lead and, the, and the, the barbarians and devaluation of the currency. And I mean, you can come up with a hundred th reasons why different people believe um why did the roman empire fall and that was a big event the, uh, the fall of the roman yeah. empire. so how would an explainable ai construct an answer if you said why did the roman empire fall um so uh, the ais we have are nowhere close to being able to engineer those kind of events right and so the explanations that we are giving uh, for ais are all the kinds of tasks that they are able to perform, um, and, and so it's it's the the uh, AI in this scenario isn't trying to isn't trying to ingest information about the world and create explanations about you know what happened in the world. The explanations that we are trying to create are about why it took specific actions, right? Well, let me, so let, that, let me let me try a different case then. Uh, if I called Google and said, when you search for ice cream makers, I come up number five, and my competitor comes up number four. Now, why are my five and they're four? Right. I could see people at Google saying, who knows? <laughs> no right. way to know that. Like, right. how, who knows? 50 billion pages, right. four, they're five. Right. So how, that's, that is a computer system that one, yes. that by law may be required to explain why this yes. ranks higher than that. Yeah, and that's a good example. So let let's discuss that. Uh, and, and so uh, again, um, you know, uh, at least at the level of uh, AI we have, and the level of explanations we're trying to generate there, uh, our approach is to sort of uh, uh, narrow the scope of what we're trying to do. And so, um, one explanation there that may be sufficient for these purposes, and that we may be able to generate um, uh, um, using some of the ideas we're coming up with, is. Um, 
to explain it in, in terms of a counterfactual, right? We may not be able to explain exactly why this came about, but we should be able to sort of talk about some decision boundaries. And so to say, to be able to say, what would have to change, right, and, and, uh, for you to go to number four? Um, what does that decision boundary look like, right? What is the smallest increment that you would have to affect for that to change? And that still doesn't give you a, a sort of a broad notion of explainability, but it gives you explainability in the sense that you can act upon that information to make a change in the world, right? So you can say, ah, uh, I, you know, we don't know exactly how this came about, but sort of th these are changes you can make, right? So for example, in your case, if um, three more uh, influential websites like CNN were pointing to you, I'm just making this up, but if three more websites CNN were kind of pointing to you, um, our systems, rating would put you at number four, right? So that doesn't give you much insight into how some things were generated, but gives you some insight into where the boundaries are, where decisions change, and what you would need to do to affect those changes. And so when you think about laws that may require explainability, um, that may be the kind of explainability you get in the beginning. Um, and as AI improves, as our ability to sort of think about build these systems improve, maybe the explanations improve. Um, uh, so the, the 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 reason for an explanation at this point is for you to affect some change in the world, and for that, giving you a notion of how far you are from a decision boundary and what kinds of input changes will push you towards the decision boundary, may be a good enough explanation. Maybe not, but but that may that is our that is a, 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 a hypothesis we have. Right? Fair enough, and and that's sort of like measuring sensitivity of the model, right? Um, maybe sense, I mean, sensitivity is part of it, right? It, it says, well, what is the biggest lever to this? But this is maybe also right. giving you much more actionable information that says, here are three things you could change right. to the, come the, about the, a different decision. But in reality, I mean, just to go with this example, which of course is fictitious, um, yeah. but really the answer would be, well, if three more high profile sites linked to you, or if you had two more occurrences of the word, or if you had one more occurrence and one more site linked to you, or you had 327 more words or 14 more occurrences of this, or 19 more percent of visitors from English speaking countries, or 14 more people who bought ice cream cones in the last year, or, 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 or a thousand different factors went into that. Any one of which would, would adjust the rankings. Like that's kind of like, it's like the weather, uh, you know, so you picking one and saying, well, if you just had three more links, it would bump you. That's that appears to be explainability, but that's really kicking. That's really shirking the question. Right. It would be like um, an employee saying, why did I get fired? And you say you were late this morning. Well, yeah, that was true. But you also had. 14 bad performance reviews and your peers ready to do is this and you're suspected of stealing stuff and, 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 and. So if you just answer with this simple, oh, well, three more links would do it for you. That's really a, a clever way to dodge the question, isn't it? Um, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, I'm not saying that this is a full notion of explainability, but uh, what I'm trying to say is that we need to make some of these things happen first and, and then maybe you expand out from those. Um, and, and so in, in your other example, right, somebody was fired. If the explanation is you were fired because um, you were late this morning, um, I, I guess from our point of view, the counterfactual would be, what would you need to do not to get fired? And maybe the answer to that is be on time continually, right? Maybe this is your 15th instance. Um, and, and so 
in in some sense, I you know you're absolutely right, right? That that um, you, you know at some point you sort of uh, 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 pushing the can down the road. But uh, uh, to me, the question is: Is that in the meantime, is it providing you something useful? more useful than before because um, whenever you do comparisons you compare to what exists today um, and is it going to be better compared to what exists today um, uh, um, versus what a desired end state would be right maybe the desired end state is still far off um, but it isn't either you're here today with nothing or you're at the other state with everything right maybe uh, there are incremental steps and if the, each incremental step provides you some uh, ability to act, some ability to change outcomes, is that useful or not? I mean, that's that's the question. And the answer, maybe that maybe that's not useful in, in every scenario. I, well, I, I wonder. I'm completely I mean, open to that. And again, I'm not, I'm not chunking rocks at what you're doing. I mean, this is a big no, no, problem. No, no, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Everybody is. But, but explainability assumes understandability, right? If, if 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 an answer is not understandable by people, explainability can't exist. So if I said, why did the hurricane hit Raleigh versus Tampa? There's an answer to that. I mean, that's, it's just physics. But it may be beyond our ability to understand that answer. It may just, you know, be butterfly wings in South America. I mean, it... it it may be beyond our cognitive ability to understand that. And therefore you can't explain ability. And so okay, can I, can I pull on that thread a little bit? Right. Pull, so it might be away. that, um, yeah, there might be that it says, Oh, there was a, a low pressure, uh, uh, area here that caused the change in the direction and, and caused the, 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 the weather pattern to move this way, then that, that way, you know, that explanation may be sufficient for a lot of purposes, for making plans for doing things, but it's not sufficient in the sense that, well, why did the low pressure exist there and not somewhere else? Was it because some butterfly flapped its wings in Argentina? Um, and, and so while it doesn't answer all the way down, it is still useful, right? So that it says, ah, if there is low pressure uh, uh, formations, there are depressions like this, you know, the likely impact will be this, and so we should plan to be out of its way, right? Um, and, and so it's a partial explanation, but it's a useful explanation that you can use to plan to uh, avoid uh, uh, um, injuries, loss of life, whatever the case might be, right? It's a, uh, it, it, to, to me, it, um, uh, a reason for explanation is not simply understanding. It's also ability to do something. And maybe you get partial understanding and you get the ability to do something. And we do that all the time, right? We have heuristics. We have rules of thumb where we don't understand what's going on, but we can use those to make decisions about the world and achieve a better outcome than would be achieved without those heuristics that we don't completely understand. Fair enough. So anybody who listens to this show knows I'm, I'm an optimist and I believe, I mean, I believe in this technology. I wrote a book about it and I, I think that AI is the power to make better decisions and that is universally a good thing. Like to argue against it is to argue for ignorance. And I, I believe, so I believe I'm, and yet, any technology can be used for ill as well as good. So I want to yep. give you a few of the ill use cases and tell me how you think they might be solvable or if, if they're not solvable. Um, the first one is individual privacy. So 
back in the day, all of our privacy in the end was guaranteed because there are just so many of us writing so many things, having so many conversations and all of that. When a machine can understand um, all, you know, speech, uh, all phone calls, uh, it can read lips, you know, which we have AIs that can do that almost as well as a human. And so every CCT camera also ha therefore can, can listen, can read every email. I mean, you actually can, without a lot of difficulty, imagine a dystopian state. And, and again, it won't even require special tools, would it? It's just normal data mining tools. It says, uh, I have all this data about all these people, you know, surface people that are problematic based on this definition of problematic. You don't have to even think too far ahead to see how a government could misuse that. Is that an intractable problem or is, what's the solution to that? So it's, a, it's an interesting question. It's one that I you know, actually think about quite a bit, right? So because we can see some of these things around the world, right? And so I think to me, one way to solve this and many other um, problems that come from technology is social norms about what is acceptable or not, right? Um, and so um, what are we willing to give up in exchange for, um, you know, uh, advantages that come from, uh, having cameras at every intersection, right? And so England has made the choice that you have CCTV cameras everywhere and you know, if people are observed and when a crime happens, they can kind of play back and, and track things. And that led to sort of very quickly finding the people who, uh, you know, did the, the train bombings. Um, in China, there was a recent experiment where, a, you know, a journalist tried to hide from the, the, the uh, you know, the surveillance state and was found out in seven minutes. Um, but in many other countries, right, you know, the, the social norms are different, right? We have in Canada and U.S. sort of um, more um, uh, more of a sort of a um, uh, cultural norm towards privacy about um, sort of uh, 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 keeping in check the uh, the power we give to others, especially the state. Um, and so, you know, in terms of technology, a lot of these things could happen today. And in places where they don't happen are places where there are social norms about how we want to behave, how we want to be governed. Um, and, and to me, that's um, there may be technological solutions that can help with these things, but those technology, uh, those technological solutions are only going to be useful as long as we have strong social norms about these things. About, you know, the so I, I grew up in India, right? The the idea of privacy was very different. Where I grew up in that small town, everybody knew everybody else's business. Um, you know, um, that was a cultural norm. It was there before technology existed that could monitor people at a large scale. Um, and then I moved to Canada for graduate studies. The social norms were very different, right? And, and, um, it, 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 and so if you take those two scenarios, in one case, technology that monitors things may have more receptive audience until people start to value privacy, start to value, um, you know, uh, individual ability to opt out of these things. Um, and, you know, it might be social norms, that social norms lead to legislative norms. Um, it, it won't, I mean, technology will play a role in it, but it cannot in absence of those. Fair enough. Let me throw another one at you. So um, we see a lot of high profile attacks on corporations, banks, and all of that, where just staggering numbers of 
let's say just credit card information or, or identification information is stolen. Um, and then and we're kind of used to that. You know, the hackers do one thing and then the white hat people learn a new trick and then they learn around it and it's an old dance. But with IoT devices, you don't have it, right? Like any, any device that you plug in, like, you know, an oven that connects to the internet is probably not upgradable. And so does it concern you that we kind of hard code and we add, you know, whatever it is, a million devices a minute or whatever to the internet that are not upgradable and have security vulnerabilities? Does that worry you that, that you can actually imagine scenarios where things can't be patched or hacked and uh, patched or fixed and, uh, and that you just have kind of big problems, not just minor annoyances, but big problems as a result of it? Because you can see it in, in larger systems yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a big problem. And it is, it is one where we are actually trying to do some research to sort of figure out how you can look for um, problems in cyber physical systems of intrusion and other things by incorporating again sort of this you know the model of the world right and but it is a it is a problem that so many um, um, things are coming on without we thinking about um, security and privacy right from the from the get go um, and uh, it, it is not. Um, unprecedented right most technologies kind of start out this way they kind of start out with let's see what can be done and then as they become big and as they become useful then we layer on other things right um and, and so um because it's not unprecedented i'm hopeful that we'll be able to solve these issues but it is definitely a big problem and will you know it will not be solved without sort of a lot of hiccups along the way and what about infrastructure do you believe that in the west Things like the electrical grid and and water treatment and all of that are fundamentally brittle systems that can can be severely damaged relatively easily. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, we we are doing some DARPA funded research in this area because yeah, DARPA believes and and you know we believe we have some sort of thoughts along this around um, you know how to do that better. But those those are definitely issues, right? I mean. Um, um, even in places where you don't think are, are you know, sort of, um, uh, you may think that some some things are air gapped and cut cut off from the world, right? That that may not be the only way to get to them, right? There there are um, ways using social engineering and others to get um, uh, uh, agents on that can um, then uh, disrupt the infrastructure. So the, the, that that part of um, a combination of two things, a lot of things being connected, and um, uh, infrastructure uh, being so crucial to the way the life goes on, right? Those two things together, um, you know, I, I think point to a number of, uh, of problems that could happen um, um, for sure. So I'll give you just one more, which is a little off AI just a little bit, but, um, you know, with CRISPR-Cas9 and genetic engineering, the ability to for a relatively unsophisticated actor to build a pathogen, you know, I mean, you know all the scenarios. Does that does that worry you? Biotech, biohazard, bio war. 
Um, <laughs> all of these things can be misused, right? So, like when when you know, uh, for the longest time, we've kind of even kind of talking about sort of the uh, the 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 dirty nuclear bomb because the, those technologies have gotten uh, small enough um, that, that that can cause impact, right? Um, uh, you, you can um, uh, you can engineer pathogens, you can engineer them to target very specific kinds of um, uh, genes, so you could, you know, sort of imagine them targeting very specific populations, and, and so there are there are issues, of course, with all of these things. And there have always been with any kind of technology that you know that we have developed, and uh, I am optimistic in the sense that throughout the years, you know, we have um, found using technological but also societal ways of sort of dealing with these problems, right? And so, um, well, I mean, I I agree with all of that. But that being said, it appears, it seems like asymmetry is going up. You're right. Metallurgy, you can make swords or plowshares. Some people make swords, some people make plowshares. But no person with a sword is going to kill a billion people. Um, the idea that with less and less effort, you can create ever more destructive forces, that does feel somehow different. But comment on that. I mean and then yeah but like you know like i mean i mean i'm going to sort of push on this a little bit right i mean you know so you know you 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 know this from history right using um um uh, the fact that there were certain um uh, diseases that people were immune to because they grew up exposed to them um um uh, in europe using you know sort of smallpox blankets etc to wipe out populations and these are not new things it's a question of what we accept as a society, right? Those, because of the fact that those don't, those kind of things are not acceptable anymore. The fact that you have uh, countries and actors with chemical weapons, and and and, and the, as a world, we have decided that you know we are going to punish people who use them. I think those are good signs, right? And so you know, I think what you're referring to is the fact that now that ability has moved from state actors to individual actors, and therefore it's harder to regulate. And I agree with that problem, right? But I think I, I am optimistic. That uh, that uh, as a world, as a society, we are going to sort of not stand for these kinds of things. And much more than technology, it's our norms, it's our social uh, contracts that that will handle these problems. So now, put on your rose-colored glasses, your optimistic glasses. Tell me all the ways this technology can go right. Like in your mind, what's the future going to be like uh, in a in a reasonably likely scenario with ever more AI, faster machines, more data collection, and all of the rest, like entice us with possibility? Um, so, I, you know, to me, this idea that, you know, if machines are able to do a lot of the things we do today, um, one of the, the biggest advantages I speak for that is that it, it opens us up for more leisure time and more creativity, which are today very human endeavors, right? Um, so, you know, as you very well know, right, so the amount of time that, you know, we as a society have had to spend on just providing for basic necessities, for food, shelter, for uh, energy, right, all of that has been going down tremendously. So if AI sort of pushes that frontier forward and lots of the things that we spend time on today out of necessity, not because we want to, so we don't have to drive from point A to point B because we can be driven more easily or um, 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 uh, or because um, um, uh, we are able to get um, better access to healthcare and therefore don't have to be, spend a lot of time being infirm. Um, it opens us up 
um, to be much more creative, to be to have more leisure, to be able to reflect, to be able to do um, lots of things that we can't do today because or or we you know or only small fraction of us can do today because um, uh, uh, because we have to spend a lot of our time sort of kind of just providing for um, the necessities of life, right? So if if everybody uh, or, or a large fraction of the population of the world can have the luxuries I have, you have, um, that opens the, opens them up for doing different kinds of things. It changes the way um, uh, we think about human rights. It changes the way we think about uh, equality in the world. It changes the way in which um, we think about sort of the, the, the human existence, right? So to me, sort of the possibilities of um, uh, advancement of us as a society, of us as a people, are tremendous if we can, um, using technology, make it easier for people to spend time, less time on doing kind of tedious things that need to be done, but not necessarily by them. Um, so, you know, that saying that, you know, the future is here today, but it's only sort of unevenly distributed. Uh, and so there are today a lot of people who are able to spend their time sort of reflecting, um, you know, sort of uh, thinking about philosophy, writing books, right? Because they don't, you know, because they have the luxury of doing that because they have either through circumstance or their own uh, endeavors uh, achieved a status in life, which allows them that flexibility. Now, if AI can enable a large chunk of the population to do that, I think that's tremendous. And then what about the the so-called bottom billion, the, the billion people in the earth, on the planet who, and granted the number is shrinking, but there seem to be a group of people who are desperately poor, who are completely cut out from these technologies. Um, how, in your mind, do the benefits of these technologies uh, help them or allow them to help themselves? And to me, I think that's where the biggest potential is, right? Because as I said, you know, if you are um, in in the top 10% of the world, even if you don't have AI, maybe you have other means of sort of providing you the the the, the luxuries of life, right? Maybe you don't have to struggle with a lot of those things. If AI can and enable those uh, capabilities to come to that bottom billion, um, and, and if it enables somebody else to... Um, you know, so, so somebody who's who who um, um, is, and it's here now, right? I mean, so imagine you are in a small town in in, in India, and your uh, ability to um, uh, get on the internet and take a course taught by a top professor at MIT or Stanford. I mean, you know, imagine sort of suddenly the the way your life could change, right? The way your outlook could change, and um, and, and those are. Through, through just use of simple technologies that we have today. If AI enables a less child mortality, if AI enables um, uh, better transportation infrastructure, if AI enables better ways of getting medications out in the wild, uh, faster uh, um, uh, uh, access to medical care, even though if you're not close to a hospital, I, I think the impact the potential for impact is biggest there. Uh, if if I, I live in Palo Alto, I'm surrounded by good hospitals, good good areas, and and and, and um, maybe the advances in AI will have some impact on me. But my life today is pretty good. Uh, for me, the advances in AI enable more luxury, more things. For somebody else, um, you know, if I had been born in a different part of the country in India, my life could have been different. And so, um, uh, the the potential for 
access to these technologies as they become more pervasive, as they become cheaper, as they become more scalable. Uh, I, I think the bottom billion, in my mind, is where the biggest potential is. I, I could be wrong, but that's my view. Well, let's hope so. And that's a, that's a great place, a message of hope on which to end this. I want to thank you, Raj. It's been a far-ranging and fascinating discussion. And I want to thank you for uh, engaging all, all, a wide range of topics. Well, my pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, Byron Reese hosts another podcast about AI called the AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill. So it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.